Hey guys, Matt here with the Low Key Podcast. Don't forget, if you like us, go subscribe, follow, and like us on Instagram, on iTunes, and on Facebook. Now, the moment you've been waiting for, Season 2 with Topeka Coffee. It's nice, it's easy, it's low-key. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome to season two of the Loki Podcast. I'm here, honored um, to be with Chip from Topeka. How you doing, man? Doing all right. You, you, you just came back from Europe, correct? We did. We came back from the World Coffee Roasting Championship competition. Tell us a little bit about that and uh, how how that was. Uh, you know, it's exciting. It's a it was first time. Um, uh, to go to the, uh, the any of the world competitions and uh, because of some of the challenges of organization the merging of the uh, especially coffee associations around the world and lots of different factors uh, the brewers and barista ended up being separate from the roasters hmm. uh, so uh, uh, it got pushed really late uh, it's kind of ironic work we competed in the Worlds for 2018, and then uh, Ian, who was competing, uh, is about to compete next month uh, in the U.S. 2019 again. <laughs> wow. Uh, so back-to-back. Kind of. But, uh, you know, it's, anytime you do something new, I think it's just it's always uh, stressful and uh, energetic and, and uh, uh, exciting and challenging and uh, keeps, or it keeps you on your toes. That's cool. So let, let's dive right into it. Um, what started your coffee journey, and what, what made you love coffee? Uh, you know, I think that at the end of the day, um, I'm a very passion-driven individual. And uh, you know, my first uh, study in college was uh, photography. Uh, and then uh, I loved also... Uh, problem solving uh, mm-hmm. and even when I was a kid uh, my mom had a lady come in and uh, taught me programming uh, in grade school yeah and uh, uh, I'm 44 so my 80s and uh, uh, the uh, computer science really kind of had a space in my heart for me uh yeah so i got back into that uh, as well as got a major in that and and then uh you know business i went to end up getting a, an mba uh, after my daughter was born and uh i ended up figuring out just the idea behind again it's just problem solving uh, as you get older and get into the workforce and and start working with people you just realize how difficult uh the challenges can be in life and, and uh, having the tools necessary to, uh, to work together as a team to uh, accomplish things and uh, achieve goals is, uh, I guess, what drives me. Uh, you know, I, I got into coffee, I think, different than most. Most people uh, tend to be passionate consumers that uh, redirect their life towards uh, coffee. Yeah. Uh, where it, where it starts with the palate, uh, hmm. and mine actually started, I think, with my heart. Uh, you know, I honestly had, at the time, I was uh, drinking, you know, uh, not the best coffee. Didn't drink coffee very often. Yeah. Uh, I was getting my MBA, in um, <clears throat> my my mother-in-law, uh, who uh, lives in El Salvador, uh, came up to visit her her first grandchild. And, uh, it was one of the, the worst times for the sea market, for the commodities market for coffee. And, hmm. and she asked if I wanted to get involved in trying to do something different. Uh, it, the, the reality had, had kind of come to fruition where the uh, economics behind growing coffee had just become 
uh, unsustainable uh, at the prices that they were getting paid. And so a lot of farms uh, have, have uh, took the, the option of just closing the doors and, and not operating and waiting for a year that the commodities price gone up because hmm. the reality was that the variable cost was, was so high that you were better off having an asset uh, just sitting there not producing expense than, than actually uh, working it. Wow. Uh, the danger of that also was that it, you know, if you leave a, an abandoned building or any kind of asset for uh, a certain period of time, it starts to degrade and uh, it's not as useful as it, as it once was. And so it takes a lot of time to rehabilitate uh, farms when you do that. Uh, so, you know, every country is different. Uh, and, you know, I was really driven by her passion to uh, try to be sustainable and to be responsible uh, to the people that, that worked for her. You know, she, El Salvador is very unique. It's a very small country. It's super dense. Uh, the general population that, that is involved in and farming and, and, and uh, picking of the coffee, uh, harvesting of the coffee, is um, locals. Uh, they're not migrant workers. They're not even uh, a lot of times from different areas of, of the country. They're specifically close, live close to the farm. Wow. And so, um, you know, it's easy when you, if you get like a lot of other countries like Guatemala that are so spread out, uh, you have a lot of migrant workers. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, not accepting migrant workers versus not hiring people that you've hired uh, every year for generations is a different uh, emotional decision, right? Yeah. And and so, uh, you know, my brother-in-law was going to school in Portland, and and I was getting my MBA, and it, I'd always uh, wrap my head around, tried to wrap my head around the uh, uh, economics, uh, just in general. And uh, I remember having uh, emotional discussions and uh, intense debates with my father-in-law about uh, the uh, sea market and uh, the whole market system being a uh, functional working market that found a, a fair price for buyers and sellers. And, and you know, the more I got into it, the more I realized that that was a bunch of... A bunch of BS. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, you know, I think that there's definitely that's the intention of it, mm -hmm. uh, and it does a lot of positive things in the sense of, it, at the end of the day, what one of the biggest benefits of of having markets is it creates liquidity, and so uh, buying and selling of product makes it uh, the markets make it a lot easier. Hmm. The problem is, is that over time. The commodities market, which is supposed to be, if you only had uh, producers and consumers at the end of the day, really, uh, putting force on that that center variable of, of price, it would be one thing. But the reality is, is that it's manipulated and very volatile because financial institutions buy and sell it as a financial uh, instrument with no intention of ever uh, roasting it in the near future. Dang. And so changing that sea market at the end of the day affects, uh, even though those are futures, uh, it affects now, it affects the farmers now. And to take advantage of that volatility, uh, you know, stability is, is challenging for making money uh, in the market yeah. because there's no change. People take, make money off of change. And so um, it's that volatility that that allows these people sitting in desks to to make a lot of money if they know what's going to happen, or they can try through research to predict it. Well, the reality is though that the people on the ground could never have the time, uh, resources, knowledge to, to be able to do that. So they're the ones that are taking advantage of most of the time. Wow. Uh, so when I got started, I really just I knew that I didn't know very much, uh, and it was also at a time where Coffee, you know, in 2002, coffee, especially coffee, was was really changing, uh, and it was a a time where a lot of the rules were being broken and the assumptions mm -hmm. were were being rewritten, 
Um, and so it was, it was a challenge. It was hard. It was hard for me personally just to learn something completely new that's so huge. Uh, I mean, it's the second largest trade commodity in the world. It's sold in so many different uh, grades, qualities, uh, environments, price points, you know, markets, uh, reasons why people consume it. You know, there's just so much to, yeah. uh, to really wrap your head around. And um, especially in, when it comes down just to figuring out how to make something that's so prevalent at the end of the day and so... Um, uh, so much a part of uh, our economy and our uh, our culture, and turn it into something that makes a profitable business is a challenge. Uh, you know, I think the number one component for me to it's one of many, but and by absolutely uh, uh, is not the only component by any means. But it is uh, a line that I repeat a lot. Is it's First thing in sustainability is profitable, profitability. Hmm. Uh, if it is not profitable in our current economic capitalist system, then it is a hobby. <laughs> um, and so in order to, to execute on the changes that we want to make in order to make it more sustainable, whether that's investing in, the, in, in, in providing better for our employees or providing uh, uh, better for the, uh, uh, the planet and the earth that we grow this coffee in, um, it, it requires resources. Uh, you can't do that without profit. So it, I just remember intentionally diving in kind of uh, headfirst and knowing I was going to make a lot of mistakes and yeah. uh, start trying to dive into uh, very slowly into baby pools, <laughs> knowing, <laughs> knowing that I was going to get wet and, uh, uh, and make a lot of mistakes, but they were mistakes that I could get back up from. And, uh, so it took probably good and also just running my own business and I don't know that I was that was ever in my uh, in my wheelhouse that was not in my plan uh, yeah I was never I don't think I was born an entrepreneur per se but I have a lot of skill sets that have made me a, uh, a good one <laughs> yeah uh, uh, and it was really something that I think I had to, to learn Learning how to manage, learning how to be the bad guy, uh, and the idea of, uh, uh, you know, the times I've had to learn to let people go, fire people. Uh, I've tried to find them new jobs uh, before I let them go, let them stay for two, three months if they need to. Uh, oh, that's really cool. A new job. And, uh, you know, as long as someone is not doing something illegal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> stealing or not performing or whatever. Uh, then I tried to make sure. Uh, to treat them with respect and, uh, but letting someone stay in a position that they're not good at uh, is the uh, that's the definition of insanity right for expecting them to ch for the results to change uh, when you see the same thing happen over and over again uh, uh, is really frustrating for me to watch someone not be happy you know you, and finally I identified the reason you know, People are more inclined a lot of times to prefer to continue status quo, even though they're unhappy, hmm. than to take the risk of change. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that, that that rule applies to people, not only individuals, but also companies. So keeping your, always keeping your feet on, uh, keeping on your toes, staying on your toes, and being ready for change and looking for different, different options. Yeah. Yeah, you, I, I, I've seen Topeka be very successful, and then you, you, you've even as a, a business um, person, entrepreneur, um, have expanded outside of that and gone into alcohol too as well. What, what made you go into that kind of scene? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm driven a lot of times by um, balance. And, uh, and so a lot of the decisions I've made for growth are, are trying to fill and lift uh, areas that I don't feel are in equilibrium. Uh, so when I first started coffee, for instance, I, my first espresso machine, I bought a, uh, a Marzocco. And, uh, 
It was a DB5, and uh, mm. the first day I got it, I opened up the box, and then I proceeded to take every screw apart. Um, wow. And put it back together. Um, and then put it back together. Um, That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the best idea, but it was a learning experience. Uh, or it wasn't the best idea for the, the machine. It took a while. <laughs> I don't think, I'm not sure it ever worked exactly the way it was supposed to, but, or as good as it did before I took it apart. But, um, but it was a great lesson. Right. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I started a whole and, uh, have worked and it's been hard, uh, and work progress, uh, to develop a repair division that was not just, uh, based off of, um, the current market that was being offered and, and that was typically, uh, uh, dominated by individuals who were capable through mostly experience through HVAC and, and other uh, mechanical trades, but rarely, if ever, did they ever have uh, experience or passion for coffee. Hmm. And so just because you can get a machine back up and running doesn't mean it's running the way it's supposed to make the coffee taste. Yeah. Uh, and so having, having an, a staff that was not only trained on the equipment repair, but understanding the dynamics of what we were trying to actually get out of it um, was something that I finally gave uh, attention and enough attention to that I felt like I needed actually to develop a whole department just for that. Um, training, you know, I, I worked for years on developing an internal training program and then finally I gave up and realized that it, uh, I, we don't have the time and resources to do it and there's already someone doing a better job at it. And at the time, SEA had hired uh, a lady named Ildi, who is amazing, uh, that uh, to, d to help professionalize and, and uh, elevate and uh, really take the whole, what had been previously a volunteer-based developed uh, educational program within the SEA into a more professional uh, accredited educational program and so uh, we jumped on the bank bandwagon and, and I'd already been really investing a lot of resources and time and money and, into always being part of that volunteer uh, process and and it just made sense to not reinvent the wheel but help someone help the whole group that was already uh, pushing it uh, and so building out and spending to what um, you know everybody that's come to our lab has from around the world has said that it's the best lab they've ever been in. Wow, uh, that's cool. You know, we've been to a number of other labs, and uh, it it is the best I've ever been in. Uh, and so, I really, I've always wanted. Whenever I do something, I try to do it. I want the, I want it to be best, right? and I'm okay with failure. Mm -hmm. uh, but the idea is to to take those failures and. And learn from them and do a better job next time. And, uh, yeah, so I'm really bad about going down rabbit holes and just kind of forgetting what I. So if I don't answer a question, <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> you can totally call me out. <laughs> uh, Ian Pico is one of my uh, left hand, right hand mans, and he, he's, he's actually given the, always given authority to, uh, to cut me off during <laughs> and redirect my energy. Oh, it's okay. I, I enjoy listening. One of my, one of my favorite things that you guys do and what you were talking about is uh, you kind of, you, you, you give training to baristas and it's almost like a career. You give them a chance to almost have a career in it. Yep. Um, and even, even new people, like you want to train, you want them to learn about coffee. And that's one thing I love about Topeka mm -hmm. and that it does. Um, and you're, you're kind of a staple of, of Tulsa and, and the start of it. Um, how have you seen Tulsa change, the coffee community change? Um, let's see. You know, I think that the the first kind of forefront of specialty coffee originally um, was Nordazio's in Tor. Um, he was doing and has done, I think, a great effort in the coffee community here in, in Tulsa. Uh, and then we started in 2002. Uh, originally, we started importing the coffee. Uh, roasted with the idea of trying to focus on sustainability and provide more jobs down on the farm. Uh, that uh, 
was uh, ended up being logistically very very complicated and uh, resulted in a couple of nights uh, of me crying on the floor. <laughs> Dang. So uh, we quickly decided around two, that late 2003, 2004 to order a, a roaster and uh, saved up some money and then ordered it. It took uh, six to nine months to get it in. Uh, 2005, we had the roastery up and running. Uh, you know, so in general, uh, and then I think Double Shot opened up soon after we opened uh, originally in 2002, and then um, lately it's grown a lot, you know. Uh, uh, I think it's great. You know, I, I'm always for uh, continued education and people learning. and um, I love Starbucks if, in the sense of what they've been able to do for the market. Uh, not necessarily a fan of the coffee, but uh, <laughs> but everybody's got personal preference, and uh, yeah, I do believe so. Something that I I I don't like, I think, I guess those are the things I do like about it is that it continues to grow. There's uh, both both on the uh, provider side in the sense of the number of shops and roasters and stuff uh, continues to grow, and, but also all, all, with that, there's more of us uh, and. With boots on the ground, trying to educate and and change people's minds from what the val- true value of, of specialty coffee is, mm-hmm. and why we should be spending more for a cup of coffee. Uh, I guess one of the, the negatives is as specialty coffee is similar to specialty anything, specialty drinks or uh, anything that has an elevated quality. Uh, you get what I call a Cobra Kai. Uh, <laughs> effect, uh, and it, it's kind of similar to I guess tribalism. Uh, yeah. Where, uh, this you know Tulsa's not immune to this. It's a it's a national worldwide kind of reality. I think in, in specialty is you get an effect of uh, creating a brand, and then you have followers who who uh, grab on to that uh, concept that they're. Um, uh, speaking out about that they know everything, everybody else is wrong, they're right, uh, they're the best. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it's a weird, to me that's that's not my nature. I did, I, I've, as I've gotten older, I've realized that that is kind of a common human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just not something I'm willing to sign on to. So I've struggled, one of my struggles has always been marketing myself. Um, I, <clears throat> uh, I don't like beating my chest. <laughs> uh, I don't like putting someone else down. Yeah. Uh, I don't like, and that, that, that applies to competitors as well as uh, customers. You know, the, mm. so the idea a lot of times what happens in scenarios in coffee can happen is uh, uh, same thing in, again, in, especially uh, in alcohol or anything else is you have an employee behind a bar, which is somewhat of a stage, which is somewhat of a position of power. <clears throat> Uh, where customer comes in with a desire to learn something. Usually, when they come into some into an establishment where they they know they're going to be paying a higher price for what is supposed to be a higher quality product uh, and, a, and an opportunity to learn something new uh, from this individual that's on the other side of the bar. And uh, we work really hard to try to make sure to have an attitude with our employees at all of our places uh, that it's okay to be wrong, it's okay to make a mistake, it's okay, and that. And customers a lot of times can be an opportunity to learn something uh, mm. instead of just being an opportunity for them to tell the uh, customer what, what's right and wrong. Um, that's cool. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> to me, that's a very core part of who I am, I think, is uh, is one of my frustrations with specialty. Is <laughs> people having attitudes of uh, one being better or right and the other wrong. Uh, yeah. I think that there, but there at the same time, there's a huge number of individuals within the community that are so supportive of each other and um, try to look at everything with a positive lens instead of a negative. Yeah, that's a cool attitude to have. Yeah. So. And then as far as education, you know, I've always, it, I was raised in a manner by my parents where that word and, and the meaning behind it and the value behind it was probably before everything else. Uh, honestly, I think that that comes, I mean, they loved me enormously and gave me so much love, but if I think of one thing about my, my life experience growing up, it was uh, 
an immense uh, uh, emphasis on on the value of education, not just for me, but for everybody. Hmm. Um, you know, my one of my major focuses when I do uh, have the liberty to, uh, to to volunteer my time or money to uh, uh, areas of need. It is on. I usually try to direct it towards education. You know, I raised. Um, Thousands of dollars for by making a fool of myself dancing for uh, uh, <laughs> San Miguel uh, here in town, and then uh, we we donated. Uh, I think it was I don't I have a bad memory, but it was something like five, six, seven thousand dollars to uh, uh, an organization that started at I think out of Harvard, I believe, where hmm. they it was a package deal where we donated the money and they went in and actually installed a fully functional library. At wow. Uh, the school next to the farm, uh, the town next to the farm. Uh, yeah, so, you know, and even I have lots of more grandiose ideas and I'm continuing to uh, sponsor education. But So education has been not, not just my own employees, but my uh, uh, customers. And, and then one of the joys of actually opening the, the lab was that it, it opened it up to everybody, right? It, yeah. It was no longer actually all this resource that we had developed of knowledge and just, you know, maybe we spent uh, ungodly amounts of money over the last uh, uh, 15 years on developing of education for my employees and um, having that available to people from everywhere around the world. And we've had people from China, New Zealand, Russia, France, Canada, Dang. Costa Rica. That's cool. Yeah. That's really, that's really neat. They had uh, at the World Breeze competition there in Boston this year. They're having some uh, educational courses, and they specifically requested that both Tyler and Ian uh, be uh, head, head teachers. Uh, wow, which is kind of neat for that's a small, really neat. Small company in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to yeah <laughs> have that level of knowledge. And that's cool. That's really cool. So you you you've been to multiple farms, um, taking trips all around the world. Um, what what do you normally look for when you're when you're picking out coffee or, or looking for coffee? Hmm. I know that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, so first of all, uh, the first eight years or so of our company, uh, I think it was around two thousand nine or two thousand ten. Uh, we only roasted coffee from our farm. Okay. Uh, again, the concept that was driving me and still drives me is was sustainability. And so I was really of a mindset that was, in hindsight, was uh, had positives and negatives um, from having these kinds of blinders on. I was very focused on that idea that if I sold a pound of coffee that wasn't from our farm, that it was a pound of coffee that wasn't paying the highest price to the farm. Uh, and so the result was that it forced a, a, an increased communication between my brother-in-law who was working the farm and myself to work and think outside the box and develop uh, a more colorful palette than a standard farm typically had at that time, especially. Hmm. Uh, you know, most farms, even today, uh, and it's definitely back then, were never incentivized to do anything uh, other than uh, a single varietal or uh, the simplification of the process was key because the margins were not very big if they were there at all and it was about volume um, because the numbers of profit per pound were just so small. So anytime mm-hmm. you, uh, and then there, the, the, the increase of dollars per you know, point of cup score or for um, uniqueness just wasn't didn't correlate to the cost that it was would require to actually separate those batches and treat them different and track them and I mean there's just a lot of logistics in uh, in all coffee there's tons of logistics that yeah. that control whether something actually ends up tasting good or whether something uh, ends up making money for everybody uh, so and even today. 40 to 50% of our coffee comes from our farms and uh, you know, we started off with 100 acres uh, 
and we now have, uh, I believe, around seven or eight hundred acres mm-hmm. uh, and two farms um, in El Salvador that are um, different altitudes, but super close to each other, same volcano. Um, and then we, we invested also in a farm in Brazil. Um, and uh, so still a huge part of our coffee comes from those farms. And I, I try and would love, you know, if it were possible to continue to grow uh, more through just selling our coffee, I would do that. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is, is that um, by selling coffees from around the world, we also uh, gain customers that we wouldn't gain otherwise because by, by being able to provide them with not only exceptional Salvadorian and Brazilian coffees, but coffees from Ethiopia and uh, Papua New Guinea and everywhere, um, they can see us as, a, as, as one of the options to provide coffee for them. Uh, so it, by, by, by that nature, it actually increases the number of pounds from our farm that we do so. Dang. Uh, so, what was the question again? <laughs> Oh, uh, so the the basis. So a lot of it is. Uh, <laughs> I told you I go down the road. Uh, the uh, after doing this for so long, you start to have so many uh, things to say. Yeah. Experiences. It's hard to filter them out. So the a big reason and motivation is still sustainability. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, quality is is key though at the same time, and so the reality is is that in order for me to pay a higher price. Uh, I have to find consumers that are willing to pay a higher price. Mm-hmm. And the, the reality is that humans and our market uh, is more inclined to pay our price specifically for quality. Uh, now, if I can give them quality and the uh, fact and reality of the seed cup of being able to give the opportunity to have a customer have a, such a transparent uh, purchasing and, and consumer experience you know that's a great uh, full package but uh, we additionally like we, we work with uh, buyers that we know uh, specifically have the same types of buying practices that we tr- try to uh, promote and sponsor and yeah uh, uh, we've traveled to many of the farms that we, we buy from through these importers and uh, you know, we went to Ethiopia, and we've gone throughout uh, uh, lots of Latin America, and uh, it's difficult. Logistics are challenging to make it where we can economically have th- that connection. Yeah. Uh, but we do our best to increase every year the number of coffees that we source in that manner. Uh, mm. It gets easier as we get bigger, um, as well as the coffees that we just Burundi. We have a Burundi right now that is one of my favorites. It's amazing. I love Burundi's. We don't buy enough to justify me flying there and meeting the people and buying a container. Uh, Yeah. uh, Making sure that our relationships through our buyers and buyers that we choose, uh, it's it's a very intentional decision that we make. Yeah. How do you, uh, speaking of that, how, how do you, how important do you think it is for a roaster to be in a relationship with their coffee farm or the people producing the coffee? Um, so it's a huge market, right? Yeah. Uh, it's not black and white. Um, coffee's notoriously known as a cup of poverty um, is a term that is thrown around a lot. Um, I think that it is a big enough problem that requires lots of different solutions. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a lot that you can do uh, at different levels of the of the chain, and uh, depending on what market you're in and what size you're in, not everybody can execute and do uh, all the different uh, uh, and execute on all the different aspects of sustainability and so yeah. uh you know I, the model seed to cup is not for everybody it's extremely challenging that's the reason why as far as i know the, at least to the level of what we do there's there's no other family-owned business that owns everything from seed to cup yeah um it's worked well for us because we have uh, a great team of people from 
the farm level all the way up to the coffee shops here um, that work together. And my brother-in-law uh, is, is a big component of that. And so having someone that he trusts and someone that I trust and him uh, is enormous. Yeah. And so it is absolutely, it's, it's that, that connection that has allowed us to, um, to grow in, in this model. But, um, you know, a, a key component also, just to answer specifically, I think that it drives me a lot as a point that I like to keep trying to verbalize in, in the industry is, <clears throat> and Tyler made an amazing job, at, I thought, this year at the Brewers' Cup. He got third in Nashville, uh, missed first by only a couple points. Uh, and is going to the Nationals in Kansas City next week. And a lot of his conversation was about this experience he had recently uh, down on the farm developing uh, the coffee that he used. And uh, he he is one, like many, that, that likes to think that uh, a rising tide rises all ships is, is the phrase that he used. And, and the reality is is that that isn't always true. And that in order for that to be true... Uh, you have to not only have good intentions, but you have to make a concerted effort to to execute well uh, and understand the consequences, positive and negative, of your actions. Uh, and so, a lot of times, life's complicated. You yeah. know, consumers like to just go to the shelf and see a pretty little picture uh, <laughs> uh, on the bag or a, or a, a brand sticker of. Uh, uh, Oh, what are the? There's uh, Oxfam. There's uh, uh, Organic. There's uh, Rainforest Alliance. There's you know so many <laughs> different certifications. And so, uh, additionally, from a business standpoint, like there's just only so many hours in the day, and so you do your best. And hmm. uh, but one of the important things that's to me is key to continuing the sustainability of direct trade. Uh, or direct relationship coffee is understanding the economics on our side. Uh, and a lot of times I think that the consumer uh, side of the equation asks for too much. And, yeah. and so, you know, you see it throughout the whole chain. You can find multi roasters who don't, and it's been a discussion at many conferences uh, that I've, I've seen lots of debate on, is how if a uh, if a coffee shop just always requests free samples and, and then you uh, uh, once and, and asks and requests all these services from a roaster with the idea of n- never necessarily buying very much coffee from that person, uh, and then when they do, only buying it for two weeks or four weeks or whatever, uh, it's an, in- an amazing amount of investment that was required uh, from that roaster with, out, with the idea that there was going to be potential time to through sales of coffee in order to yeah. recuperate that investment. Hmm. Um, and so there, there are a lot of uh, specific uh, multi-roaster shops who actually have a very specific amount of time that they guarantee that a, uh, they're going to be buying from a roaster to give that. You know, they're, knowing that they're going to be asking for specific services or uh, uh, request, certain requests, that there's cost in that, they are also understanding of the relationship that it's both ways. Uh, and then from the roaster side to the, uh, the farmers, you know, a lot of times you see a lot of high-end specialty roasters will go down and visit the farms and you see these beautiful pictures of them on the farm and you mm. know, the farmers typically don't charge them. They uh, give them a week of uh, days or even a week of uh, free time on the farm and have to spend morning, noon, and night with these people and feed them a lot of times and and yeah. uh, um, they ask them for all these unique experiments and uh, and to take all this time and money and resources to separate and process and do something different and take the risk of planting farm you know uh, uh, and they don't specifically a lot of times even necessarily ask but they see these trends of okay well I need to rip out all my trees and put geisha uh, right or yeah. uh, you know those decisions have a massive economic impact on the farm because let's say that the uh, a farmer keeps getting asked by uh, roasters to man you should really grow geisha well if it's not an environment that is good for growing geisha then that person just ripped out what was a producing revenue generating uh, 
asset and sits on the land for three years before he ever is able to to to, to, to have revenue again. Right? Yeah. And on average, it takes about three years to have a harvest, a good wow. harvest, and and uh, uh, and so it, the risk is is huge because then let's say that the coffee actually doesn't taste well or it it's not uh, able to sustain the environment very well, and so it, it doesn't produce very much. Or you know, uh, what we really work on is making sure that anytime we ever ask uh, for anything specific or when, when we buy uh, coffee from direct from, from farms, we try to load the coffee up with representatives. So like, let's say if the, the farm produced 80% specialty coffee and 20% uh, subspecialty. Well, we try to, as much as possible, fill that container with that same ratio. And we mm. try to pay above, uh, not only above sea market, but m- most of that is independent of sea market and more based off of what the economic cost of producing that coffee was and what would be a sustainable margin for that work. Uh, with the idea of knowing that if you look at it from the full supply chain, it only works if I can find consumers that are willing to buy the coffee for a high price. They're only really willing to pay that high price if the quality is there. Hmm. I can only find that quality if I have a resource that can, can consistently produce that quality coffee. And in order for them to do that, on a harvest agricultural uh, product that is annually uh, harvested is uh, requires dedication and, and uh, requires not just a one-time small purchase, but something that uh, requires buyers that come in and are willing to work with that farm from year in and year out, uh, wow. independent of what the quality is. Um, you know, there are years where I've, I've asked for, and we've done experiments like yeah. every year almost, where if it doesn't come out good and it's bad, I still buy it. Hmm. And I still pay the price based on what I, the cost was associated with the things that I asked him to do for it. You know, if, he, if he's going to uh, produce a honey coffee, right, pulp natural. Yeah. Uh, honey is never the term because it sounds sexier than pulp natural. But, <laughs> oh, it's honey? I love honey. <laughs> so... Um, the reality of that process is, is that it it increases greatly the attention needed to produce it from a, a mill standpoint uh, to, mm. to produce it well because uh, there's all this moisture and sweetness and sugar that is the perfect environment for uh, bad things to, to start to be produced that can degrade the coffee, uh, both uh, longevity and cup quality. And so... Um, if I'm going to ask him to take increased risk, I got to reward that risk with uh, benefit. So, um, additionally, you know, we have uh, hospitals that we provide. We have uh, different avenues where we intentionally got into parts of the market where it's not my favorite. Yeah, it's not my market in the sense of me as an individual consumer, but it's a huge part of, of the coffee market. And it allows me to pay a higher price for, it's a win-win, uh, because it, it increases my volume, which decreases my freight cost. It uh, increases uh, the dollars that the farm gets paid uh, yeah. for that coffee. They would have to sell it for a cheaper price than they would, uh, uh, than I'm willing to pay for it, because I know the quality of it. Um, it usually, for instance, cups out around a 78 to an 81. So most of it actually cups out above specialty. But it's a small bean size, and so it gets it gets uh, uh, graded lower and it gets paid less. Hmm. Um, and that quality coffee tends to just be more magnetically associated with market price versus I pay independent of the market on all yeah. of our coffees. Um, and so what that allows me to do is I, I pay the farm more. I'm at, I get access to a quality of coffee that I would have to pay more for if I paid a middle guy because they have to make a profit. Yeah. Uh, and I'm able to provide, in my opinion, at the price point that we sell that coffee, uh, a significantly higher quality for price point. So it's, you know, every, literally everybody wins on it. Dang. Um, it, it, but I do that with the understanding, not because I enjoy it, yeah. but because I understand that that's a reality of, of in order for my, my balancing equation that I'm always trying to search for. Yeah. Uh, that that is one of the variables. Yeah can't ignore yeah dang 
That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. What advice would you give someone that wants to get into the coffee industry or start up a, a business, a small business? Uh, it is something that I'm not always great at. I've gotten better as I've gotten older. Uh, and it is a lifetime of uh, work uh, is to listen. Uh, ask questions and listen. Uh, hmm. It's hard to shut up. <laughs> uh, I, right now, I'm the one sitting here jabber-jawing. But um, uh, it is. like It's really hard, especially as you get into something as intense and long as as uh, as I have with with coffee, and uh, to feel like you know every, everything that you need to know, and um, uh, that you have more to contribute to a conversation than someone else, or um, and every time I'm quiet, it's the times when I I learn, hmm. uh, and it's a cliche in, in the competition. Uh, questions of what do you like about coffee? Well, I just love it because I learn something new every day. Well, yes, I mean, that sounds good and it's true, but in general with, with businesses and entrepreneurship and, and life, man, you know, uh, learning to listen is, is one of the most valuable skill sets. And, and, uh, yeah. To, to not only acquire it, but to master. So, but it takes yeah. a lifetime to master. So. Yeah. Still working on it. <laughs> Well, where can people find Topeka, and uh, what social mediums do you guys normally connect with? Uh, so, in the uh, uh, going back to kind of what I said about um, marketing and me not liking to uh, uh, bang my chest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I've actually one of the things I've had to really work on is how to use social media and promote uh, our brand and our coffee and. And uh, for instance, like right now, I was in, when I was in the World Coffee uh, competitions, I was posting myself on Instagram for the for Topeka, and, and it was uh, it's a little bit of fun, but it's mostly just really annoying for me. <laughs> but if I'm being honest, yeah. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why actually I got out of photography was that I uh, I felt like in order to be a good photographer, uh, I had to step outside of the moment, yeah, and watch it from afar through a lens. And I realized that I wasn't enjoying the moment. Mm. And so uh, when I am myself or I see other people constantly videoing and photoing and, and pushing themselves through this little device, uh, it's weird to me because it, I see people who aren't necessarily living in the moment. They're uh, living outside the moment. I think as, as a natural response, a reality of of capturing yourself in that manner. Um, but yeah. uh, it is important. We try to focus on uh, Instagram a lot more than Facebook, but we do both. Uh, website, uh, we've been working on blogs, and it's a work in progress. You know, it's, uh, we've hired, I keep trying to position myself to have people as well as uh, financially afford to have someone who's good at it. Um, yeah. I'm not really happy with, uh, with where we are. Uh, but I'm always one to say that being enjoying the grass underneath your feet and wanting more are not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. right? So I'm never really, I'm always wanting more and I'm always wanting to be better while at the same time trying to make sure I'm enjoying the moment and, and realizing and seeing and, and, and enjoying the grass underneath my, feet, underneath my feet. So with social media, we're, we're getting super close to probably this year we'll hire, hire a full-time individual we've had That's people cool. that have done it for us within the company um, uh, Cameron recently was uh, uh, in charge of it and he's moved on to work with his brother on a new venture that I'm super excited for yeah uh, called something blue yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, I should check it out but uh, you know finding someone that does a better job at, at it and enjoys it uh, basically be a biographer, right, of, of everyone within the company and what's going on yeah. uh, and communicating. I, I appreciate the value of needing to communicate what we do to, to our consumers. I just not, I'm not the one that wants to do <laughs> yeah. uh, Where to buy it? Um, you know, we have our own coffee shop right now at the uh, Philcate. 
uh, as well as we own uh, Hodges Bend, um, yeah. which is a coffee shop slash cocktail bar. Uh, the Phil Cade uh, recently added uh, a full line of alcohol and uh, a very strong focus on, on Amaro's. Um, but uh, uh, we're in all the Reesers, uh, Sprouts, Whole Foods, uh, online. Uh, you know, we try to make it and figure out mechanisms to reach the consumer and mm-hmm. it, the consumer's purchasing habits are different depending on who it is. And so trying to make sure to balance it, like the best place you could probably get it would be online, but then you're paying for shipping. Uh, our coffee shops, we actually restock everything uh, once a week. And so anything that's on the shelves that hasn't sold, uh, we take out of the shops and put freshly roasted uh, product in. Uh, so those are the two most fresh locations that you can find. Um, grocery stores are great. Most of them uh, are within a couple of weeks. It depends on the store. Uh, yeah. Small town stores tend to move product a little slow. Uh, the inner city stores tend to have a much higher volume and rotate the, the product and the freshness is a lot higher. Uh, we just got into all the homelands in Oklahoma City. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and at, uh, we're in the Whole Foods down there as well. Um, uh, we have tons of coffee shops uh, around the, uh, the state, and uh, not a ton, but we have a growing number of shops around the country that are using our coffee that we're yeah. proud that everybody's using. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I want to thank you for being on the Low Key Podcast. Thanks, man. Taking time and hanging out with me. I, I hope our listeners learned something. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I appreciate you, man. I've seen you in the within the coffee community here for a long time, and and uh, it is very obvious to me the uh, amount of energy and passion that you put into uh, being part of the community and, and making it better. Thanks, man. Cheers. See you later. Ciao. Hey guys, thanks again for listening to the Low Key Podcast. Once again, if you like this podcast. Go subscribe, follow, and like on Instagram, Facebook, and iTunes. Also go check out Topeka and go see what they're doing on Instagram, Facebook, and their physical location. That's it in low-key land. Keep it nice, keep it easy, and keep it low-key, guys.